We are in our study in the book of Acts, and let's pray and then we'll dive into this. Father, we thank you that you are a God, the God, mighty and awesome, who has made a way for us to know you through the sending of your son, Jesus. And Lord, I thank you today as we have worshipped you in song. We worship you in the giving of our tithes and offerings. And now, Lord, we, we worship you in the study of your word. And I pray, God, that you would minister to our hearts today by your Holy Spirit. Lord, we thank you that you have not left us here by ourselves. You haven't left us orphans. But God, you have given us your spirit, and I pray that our understanding of that would be just expanded today in our time together. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever been in a situation where you suddenly became aware that you were missing something? Maybe it was when you and your wife went out to dinner Or maybe if you're single, you were going out for a date. Maybe it was the first date. And you have a wonderful time of conversation. The meal is amazing. And then the bill comes. And you suddenly realize that you are missing your wallet. That you left it in your other coat pocket which is still at home. Talk about awkward, right? I was so happy that my wife had her purse and her wallet when that happened. Or perhaps you're a gal and after work you head to the gym, you want to get get a good workout in and you know, you're in the locker room, you're getting, you know, dressed and then you suddenly realize after you have, you know, everything on that you forgot to pack your pennies in that little compartment in your gym bag and all you have are heels and so you can't do your workout or you're a guy and you decide to go to the gym at lunchtime to get in a good cardio workout and you get there and you work out for 40 minutes you work up a great sweat and you head back to the locker room you're going to take a shower so you can rush back to work and you discover you are missing your bath towel you forgot to pack it that's a dilemma right what do you do you you need a shower before you go back I mean do you ask someone if you can borrow their bath towel I mean what do you do in a situation like that or you find yourself at a event that you've been invited to and you show up and you suddenly realize that you missed On the invitation, the little line that said formal attire, and although you are dressed business casual and looking pretty good, you look completely out of place when everybody else is in their suits and tuxes and formal gowns. If you've ever experienced a situation like that where suddenly you're like, realize you missed something, you're missing something, you know just how just difficult that can be. It's the worst. It's awkward. It's embarrassing. It's uncomfortable. But you know what's worse is to be missing something. It's when a person suddenly realizes that they're lacking, they're missing something spiritually. 
Well, that's exactly what we find in the text before us today here in the book of Acts, where we're going to, first of all, see a man by the name of Apollos who was trying to serve the Lord and preach to others, but he was missing something. He wasn't born again. (laughs) He didn't know Jesus. And then we're going to see Paul the Apostle come to the city of Ephesus where he meets a group of people who were also a group of men that were also missing something, that they were missing the empowering of the Holy Spirit. Let's see how these two stories unfold. We'll we'll first start with Apollos. What was Apollos missing? Look at verse 24. Now a certain Jew named Apollos, born at, at Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures, came to Ephesus. And this man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in the Spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord, though he knew only the baptism of John. Pause there and give me your attention. Now, the baptism of John was the baptism of John the Baptist. And the baptism of John the Baptist was for repentance and preparation. John's whole message, his whole ministry was about preparing the hearts of the people of Israel to receive the Messiah. And so he was encouraging them. He was teaching them to get ready that Messiah was coming to repent from their sins and prepare their heart as he was preparing the way. So Apollos only knows of the ministry of John the Baptist, but Apollos was a Bible scholar. He knew the Old Testament scriptures thoroughly, and he was also unusually learned. He was from Alexandria. That was the place of his birth. And Alexandria rivaled only Athens as a reputation, as a city of knowledge. It had the greatest library in the world at that time, uh, hosting 700,000 volumes. It was the home of Euclid, Philo, and other famous philosophers. And Apollos was a learned man, and he was also an eloquent man. He was a persuasive orator, very passionate, very fervent in spirit. Today, we might say of Apollos that he had the whole package, that he would be the kind of guy that a lot of churches would be looking to hire to be their their pastor. Smart, eloquent, a guy who knew the word, very engaging, very charismatic, very persuasive. But one problem, he wasn't born again yet. He didn't know Jesus. He didn't know that the Messiah that John the Baptist had preached and and talked about had already come. It's what we are celebrating in this season of Christmas that Jesus left heaven and came to this earth, was born of a baby for the very purpose that he would go to a cross and die on the cross to pay the price for the sins of humanity and then rise again from the dead in three days to set people free from their sin and free from their shame. But Apollos had missed that part. And Apollos' story really reminds us of another famous preacher by the name of John Wesley. Wesley was a guy who grew up in a godly home um, with godly parents. His dad was a pastor and his mom was in every sense of the word a saint. I mean, Susanna Wesley just gushed forth godliness. 
And Wesley, John Wesley himself, was a brilliant young man. He attended a prestigious Oxford College there in England. And Wesley chose to follow in his father's footsteps and go into ministry. And after he, his graduation, he embarked on a trip to America. He went to the state of Georgia, to be exact. And he had this desire to bring the gospel to the American Indians, but he utterly failed. And upon his return to England, he wrote, I went to America to convert the Indians, but oh, who shall convert me? Upon his return to England, Wesley encountered a group of Christians who were of the same age as he was, and he was intrigued by them. There was something about them that when he looked at his own heart and his own life, he thought, man, I'm missing something. And as he went to one of their gatherings one evening, he was so touched by the message that he realized what he was missing was a relationship with Jesus. And he gave his heart to Christ that night, and he became born again, and he He said this, he sensed the Lord filling him and forgiving him. And from that point on, everything changed in his life. Prior to that, John Wesley was a man who knew more theology and was more dedicated than most believers, but he didn't know the saving power of Jesus Christ. And that these two stories, they remind us of this important truth, that it's not enough to know the lingo. It's not enough to know the stories. It's not enough to know the Bible verses or the songs that we sing. You have to have had a personal encounter with Jesus Christ. Well, Apollos was on a similar track as Wesley. Gifted, knowledgeable, passionate about God, but he was missing that relationship with Christ. Let's see what happens. Verse 26, it says, So he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, and when Aquila and Priscilla heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Now pause there again, and let me have your attention. Remember Aquila and Priscilla? We met them last week. They were that couple that Paul met when he came there to Corinth, and he began to work with them because Paul was a tent maker. They had a tent making business. He actually lived with them, stayed with them. He shared the the scriptures with them. And when Paul decided to move on to Ephesus, he brought them with him. They became valuable to him in the ministry. And this very, very simple couple would end up being used by God to talk to this impressive orator, Apollos, And they recognized as they were listening to him that he was missing something. They they recognized the deficiency in his preaching that he was missing the key thing, that he was missing Jesus. And I want you to notice it says that they took him aside. They lovingly took him aside. There's no scorn. There's no criticism here. There's no, they didn't seek to embarrass him. They weren't like in the middle of his message, excuse me, uh, you're missing something. They didn't do that. You know, there was a time when I was preaching in Hungary, Seged, Hungary, and it was the last night of a very long two-week trip, and, and I was very excited about this message that I was going to give. And in Hungary, when you preach, you preach through an interpreter. And as I was preaching, in fact, the first time I ever preached through an interpreter uh, in Hungary, it was this Baptist pastor who was in, interpreting my messages. And I would say something, and then he would say something after me that was a lot longer than what I said. <laughs> And then I'd say something and he would talk a lot longer 
And finally, I looked at him and I said, did I say all that? And he said, I'm greatly improving upon what you are saying. (laughs) Well, this was worse. I'm preaching in Seged the last night of this tour, and there were enough people in the audience who knew both English and Hungary, and as I'm speaking, and I'll, I would say, you know, the, what I was going to say, and then the interpreter would say what I supposedly said, and I'm watching, people in the, I'm watching people in the audience shaking their head, you know, and then finally, a couple of them, they blurred out, they're like, that's not what he said, you know, and so suddenly I realized this is a train wreck, you know, this guy, I'm trying to speak the best English I know how, which I know often isn't that good, but uh, I was trying my hardest and he just wasn't getting it. Well, they didn't do that. They weren't interrupting Apollos in the midst of his message. They took him aside and they began to speak to him and they completed his theological picture. And with that, Apollos became born again and baptized in the Holy Spirit. And it was this couple that made all the difference of just seeking to come alongside of him. And it really shows a humility on his part to receive from them. Notice verse 27, it says, and when he desired to cross to Achaia, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who believed through grace, for he vigorously refuted the Jews publicly, showing from the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. Apollos now, he's got it. He's preaching Jesus and the church is like hey this guy is right on you need to receive him and he ends up having this powerful ministry well the same thing happened to John Wesley John Wesley became known as a powerful evangelist and Bible teacher. He was the founder of the United Methodist Church. Um, when the United Methodist Church was, was very, very solid, today they've become a lot more liberal. Um, he rode on horseback to go around to the different places where he would preach. Travel and get this, he traveled 250,000 miles on the back of a horse to bring the gospel to people. That's 10 times around the globe. That's incredible, isn't it? I mean, what a dedicated guy. He made seven tours to the colonies, preached roughly 18,000 sermons, and his sermons and writings are still read and revered by Christians all over the world today. The stories of Wesley and Apollos teach us that it's possible to know the word of God and not be saved, and they also remind us that we can only take others as far as we ourselves have gone. That we can only lift others up to the level that we ourselves have come to. And that's an important thing for us to realize. I mean, do you want to see people around you fall madly in love with Jesus? You need to be madly in love with Jesus. Do you want to see people around you in your life and your family and your sphere of influence walking and living in the fullness of the Holy Spirit? You need to be a Christian who is walking and living in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And so these two men, they remind us of that truth. 
So Apollos ends up going to Corinth, and he has an amazing ministry there. And Luke picks up the story with Paul arriving back in Ephesus. And it's there that he encounters this group of men who were also missing something. Look at chapter 19. It says, and it happened while Apollos was at Corinth that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus. And finding some disciples, note that word disciples, he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believe? Pause there and give me your attention. So Paul comes to Ephesus where he meets this group of men that that Luke, who's writing the book of Acts, describes, identifies as disciples. Now we'll discover as we read forward that these men were like Apollos, that they had only knew the baptism of John and they were not yet born again. But I want you to notice, Paul calls them disciples. And the term disciples is used 27 times in the book of Acts. And the term term disciple singular is used five times. So 32 times in the book of Acts, we have people who are being referred to as disciples. And in every single instance, these, those people are described as people who were following Jesus, people who were already saved, people who knew the Lord. Acts chapter 19, verse one is the only exception. It's the only exception. But the thing that I want you to catch here is that I believe the Holy Spirit inspires Dr. Luke to use this term disciples on purpose to make this point clear. When Paul meets these guys, he thinks that they are saved. He thinks that they are followers of Jesus Christ. He thinks that they are disciples. But Paul, as he's looking at them and talking to them, he's sensing that there's something that they were missing in their lives. And so he asks this question, did you guys receive the Holy Spirit when you were received? Now, here's the question. What was Paul talking about? Well, we know from the study of scripture, he wasn't talking about the indwelling of the Holy Spirit because the Bible makes it very, very clear that happens to you when you get saved. When you embrace Jesus and you put your faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes to live in your heart through faith. Paul makes this very clear in the book of Romans, that if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, that he has died on the cross and he's risen again from the dead, the Spirit of God dwells in you. He writes this in Romans chapter 8. He says, so then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So those who are, are not born again, they've only been born of the flesh. They, they can't please God. They don't have a relationship with God yet, but you are not of the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed, here's the defining mark. If the, indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. So this is how Paul describes being born again. The spirit of God is dwelling in your life. That's the mark of a a Christian. That's the mark of being born again, being born of the Holy Spirit, is the Holy Spirit is residing in you. And I think when that happens, there's a noticeable change that begins to happen in your life. Paul describes it this way in verse 11 of Romans. 
8, he says, But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies, to your fleshly bodies, through the Spirit that dwells in you. In other words, Paul's saying, when God's spirit comes to live inside of your life, he begins to do a work in your life that is on the inside, and it affects your life on the outside. That's what happens when you are born again. And that's why it's important to note that Paul's question here cannot be in reference to the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. When he says, have you guys received the Holy Spirit when you believed? That would make no sense. That would be like asking somebody, when you were born, were you breathing? Since you've been born, have you been breathing? No, we know that breath is a mark of spirit, or excuse me, physical life, and the Holy Spirit residing in you is a mark of spiritual life. So if Paul wanted to question their salvation, he would have just asked, have you guys received Jesus yet? Have you guys embraced Jesus as your Savior and your Lord? Have you embraced the gospel? But that's not the question that he asks. So his question, have you guys received, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed, has to be referencing something else. So what is Paul talking about? Well, I think that that what happened in the life of the disciples of the original 12 gives us insight to the answer. You see, Jesus described to his disciples that there would be a threefold working of the Holy Spirit in their lives. And, and he talks about this in John chapter 14, giving insight into what the Holy Spirit would look like. And it was there that he said this, that it's important that I go. But when I go, I'm not going to leave you by yourself, but I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. Listen to how it reads. Verse 16, he says, And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. That phrase, another helper, is another just like me, is what Jesus was saying. I'm not going to leave you by yourselves. I'm sending someone to you who's going to be just like me. And then he identifies the helper. He says, the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. And then catch this last phrase, I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. What's Jesus saying? Hey guys, I'm leaving, but I'm not going to leave by yourselves. I'm not leaving you orphans. I'm going to come to you, but just in another way, it's going to be my spirit. My spirit is going to come to dwell in you. And notice how he puts this. He says that that the Holy Spirit is right now he's with you. He's with you because he was in Jesus and he was with Jesus and Jesus was with them. So the Holy Spirit, he's with you. He's with you right now, but he shall be in you. And you know what? If you're here today and you're not a, a Christian, if you're watching online, you're not a follower of Jesus, the Holy Spirit is with you. You know what he's doing? The Bible tells us that the work of the Holy Spirit with us is to convict us of our sin. It's to convict us of our sin and our need of a Savior. So it's the Holy Spirit who is always seeking to draw us to Jesus and to convict us of our sin and our need of a Savior. And if you don't know the Lord, he's doing that right now. It's why you're here. It's why you ended up in church today or decided to watch this message online. It's because Jesus loves you and he wants you to know him. 
So Jesus said the Holy Spirit is with you and he shall be in you. This is what is meant by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit as he comes to live inside of us. So the question is, when did that happen to the disciples? Well, in John chapter 20, after the resurrection, Jesus appears to his disciples. Now you gotta remember, no one's saved before Jesus dies on the cross and rises again from the dead. No one's born again yet. So Jesus dies on the cross, he rises again from the dead, and he appears to these guys, and they see him, and they see that it's true. He's alive, and they believe. And in John chapter 20, verse 22, it says that he breathes on them and says, Receive ye the Holy Spirit. And it was in that moment that the disciples were born again and indwelt with the Holy Spirit. But after the disciples were indwelt by the Holy Spirit in John chapter 20, There in verse 22, after that, Jesus tells his disciples to go into Jerusalem and he wants them to wait for the Holy Spirit to come upon them. We read this in Acts chapter one. Again, it'll be on the screen. He says, and being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the father, which he said, you have heard from me for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Not many days from now here, Jesus is describing a brand new experience with the Holy Spirit. He describes it as the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The baptism with the Holy Spirit. He says, John baptized with water. That was for repentance. That was for identification of of being a follower of Jesus. But there's a day coming when you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And Jesus describes it in in, in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 in this way as the Holy Spirit coming upon you. He says, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria into the end of the earth. Now notice that word upon. It's a new word in connection with the Holy Spirit. He's with you before you're saved. He comes in you to indwell you when when you get saved. But then there's this third aspect of the Holy Spirit where he comes upon you. And notice it. He says the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. This is what Jesus described as being baptized with the Holy Spirit. He's going to come upon you and empower you for service. He's going to empower you for the Christian life. He's going to empower you to be my witnesses. Now listen very carefully. The baptism of the Holy Spirit or the Holy Spirit coming upon you to empower you. Listen, it's not you getting more of the Holy Spirit. Okay, it's important to understand that. If you are a Christian here today, the Holy Spirit indwells you. You have all the Holy Spirit. It's not you getting more of the Holy Spirit, but it's the Holy Spirit getting more of you. There's a difference. I love this analogy. I have a friend who has a sailboat, and sometimes he takes us out on his sailboat, and we sail around um, San Diego, you know, harbor there. And we'll be out on the boat, and he'll have the boat in a direction where the wind is just catching a little bit of the sail. 
So we're just kind of putting along, enjoying, you know, lunch and just enjoying being out on the boat. But when he really, really wants that boat to get going, what does he do? He turns the sail to the point where the wind, same amount of wind, but now it's just catching more of the sail and it's moving that boat through the water. That's what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is like. Same amount of the Holy Spirit, he's just getting more of you. Or think of this analogy. You know, we can go down to the beach, probably too cold now, unless you're a surfer, you have a wetsuit, but you go down and you could put your feet in the water. And if somebody said, Hey, what'd you do today? You said, I went and you could say, I went in the ocean. And that would not be false. You did. You went in up to your feet. Sometimes in the summer, we'll go out, you know, up to, you know, our knees, but we wouldn't say in that moment that the ocean had all of us. It's only when we get to the point when we're going out in the ocean and we're like over our heads and we can no longer touch that suddenly the ocean has all of us. And it's in those moments that we'll body surf and we'll catch a wave. And suddenly the wave now is propelling us. The power of the wave is propelling us at a speed that is greater than we could swim. And again, that's kind of like the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's not you getting more of the Holy Spirit, but it's like the ocean. It's like him getting more of you, more control over your life. Now, this is what we've seen in the book of Acts concerning this idea of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We see the disciples saved in John chapter 20 when Jesus breathed on them and received, said, receive you the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came to indwell them. But then they are baptized with the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost, many days later, and after their initial conversion. That was the story with the disciples. We see in Acts chapter 8, people in the city of Samaria get saved when Philip comes there and preaches Jesus to them. But it's after that, they're baptized in the Holy Spirit when Peter and John come and lay hands on them and pray for them to receive this baptism, this Holy Spirit coming upon them. And it's there that the Holy Spirit, you know, comes upon them and they're, you know, speaking in tongues and, and prophesying and, and all of that. The gifts are manifested in their lives. Something is manifested. In Acts chapter 9, we see Paul the Apostle, when he was Saul of Tarsus, he gets saved on the road to Damascus when he has his encounter with Jesus. But he doesn't get baptized in the Holy Spirit until Ananias comes three days later and lays hands on him and prays for him. So in all of those situations, we see the baptism of the Holy Spirit taking place after these people were saved. Now, in Acts chapter 10, though, we saw Peter going down to the city of Corinth, or excuse me, Caesarea, and he goes to the home of a Roman centurion there by the name of Cornelius, and he preaches Jesus to Cornelius and his whole house, and they believe in Jesus, they put their faith in Jesus, and at that very same moment, they get baptized in the Holy Spirit. And they're speaking in tongues, and they're prophesying. And so in that instance, it happened at the same time. Their salvation and their baptism of the Holy Spirit happened simultaneously. Well, this is why Paul is asking this question. He wants to know if the experience of these men was like that of Cornelius or 
He's wanting to know, have, have you guys been baptized with the Holy Spirit yet? That's the nature of his question. And notice how they responded. It says, so they said to him, verse 2, we have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. So they're like, we have no idea what you're talking about. And I experience this sometimes. Sometimes I'll ask somebody, hey, have you been baptized with the Holy Spirit yet? And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. 2001, you baptized me down at the harbor. They're thinking water baptism because they hear that word baptism. Like, no, 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 that's not what I'm talking about. That's water baptism. That's when you're identifying yourself with Jesus. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is when he comes upon you to empower you to live for Jesus. Have you experienced that? Well, these guys are like, we have no idea what you're talking about. And so he said to them, well, then into what were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism, that baptism for preparation and repentance for the coming of Messiah. And, they, and then Paul said, John indeed baptized with a baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is on the Christ. So Paul tells them John was pointing to Jesus. And then it says this, and when they heard this, now I want you to pay close attention to the language here. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So they were water baptized. That's what this is talking about. They were identifying themselves with Jesus. These guys at this moment, they're getting saved. But watch what happens next. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Now these men were 12 in all. So they get saved, they get water baptized. And then after that, Paul prays for them and they get baptized with the Holy Spirit, this empowering of the Holy Spirit. Now I want to wrap this up today by asking this important question that all of us need to answer. Have you been baptized with the Holy Spirit? Have you received that empowering of the Holy Spirit? Do you know? Can you look at it and say, yeah, I remember the day that that happened to me. You know, there was a man who was attending a Bible conference, and it was on life in the Spirit. And during one of the breaks, he walked out, and, and where this conference was held, it was held, there was a lake, small lake, and he was walking out by the lake, and he noticed across the lake, there was a house, and there was a well out in front of the house, and he saw the silhouette of a man that looked to be pumping the, 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 the you know, handle on the well to get the water to come you know, out of the, the, the well, and as he watched, he's like, man, that guy just keeps pumping and pumping. And he's going faster and more vigorously. And this guy's wondering, like, who, who is this guy? I mean, he just seems like incredible. So he decides to, to get a closer look. He wants to meet this guy. And as he's walking around the lake, as he gets closer, he discovers that it really wasn't a man that was pumping that well, but it was a, a wooden cutout of a man and there was on a hinge attached to the arm that was attached to the handle of the pump. And so it really, it wasn't the man that was pumping the well. It was an artisan well, and it was the well that was pumping the man. It was the, the well, the water it was a, that was doing the work. And suddenly it hit him in that moment that life in the spirit is not about me pumping harder. 
Me trying harder, but it's about letting the Holy Spirit pump me. It's about letting the Holy Spirit empower me. It's about letting the Holy Spirit have more of me. And that's not just for Christian ministry. That's for Christian life. Paul makes this very, very clear in the book of Ephesians. And so here's what I want you to do real quick. Find your way to Ephesians chapter 5. Take a few, uh, go to the right in your Bible. You have Romans, Galatians, Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 5, I want to start reading in verse 15. Paul writes these words. Love that sound of turning pages. Verse 15, see that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Now pause there and give me your attention for a minute. The theme of this section is our walks. The theme of this section is about walking in wisdom. That word circumspect comes from the same root word that we use for circumference, circumference that speaks of, of that which is round and, and balanced. And so the wise life, we could say, is a balanced life. It's a life that isn't out of balance. And so Paul goes, he continues, therefore, do not be unwise. But understand what the will of the Lord is, that the Lord wants you to be balanced in your walk with him. And then he's going to tell us what is the key aspect to that in verse 18. He says, and do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Don't be drunk. You see, that's what the world does. That's how the world deals with their stress and anxiety. And that's how it deals with life. It seeks to escape. People want to get drunk, or they want to do drugs, or they want to vape, or they want to you know, go play video games. Anything that they can do, any vice that they can do to just escape life. Paul's saying that that's not us. That's not the followers of Jesus. That's not how we live. We're to be different. And he says, and, and this is what it looks like. You be filled with the Spirit. I want you to notice that that is a command and not a suggestion. He says, you be filled and literally be continually being filled filled. And this is what this means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is really the key to the Christian life. It's understanding that you need daily help from Jesus to be who he's called you to be and to do what he has called you to do. You need daily help from Jesus and his Holy Spirit empowering you to live as a Christian. To be the husband, to be the wife, to be the parent, to be the grandparent that God has called you to be. Matthew chapter 5 verse 3 says, blessed are the poor in spirit. And to be poor in spirit means to realize your utter dependency upon Jesus for everything. But you know what? We struggle with that, especially here in America. It's foreign to our, our American way of thinking because we teach and we preach in life that we get ahead by trying harder and by doing more. We are a nation, a society of entrepreneurs and overachievers. And we live by that mentality and we bring that mentality into our Christian walks. 
that the way that I'm going to get, you know, be the husband, the wife, whatever that God wants me to be, I just got to try harder. I just got to do more. I got to read more books. I got to find more techniques. And this is the way we, we try to implement that into our lives. But guys, the answer is not in trying harder. It's in, it's in admitting that you are weak. It's in admitting that you need help. It's learning to live a life that is dependent upon the Holy Spirit. And the more you and I make it our daily prayer to say, Jesus, I need your help. Jesus, I need your empowering. Jesus, will you fill me afresh today? The more that we will find ourselves being sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit the more that we will experience that empowering of the Holy Spirit. So as we close today, some of you need to answer this question. Do you know Jesus or just about him? Are you like Apollos that you know the scriptures, you know the songs, maybe you've been brought up in church, but you've never really, really engaged and embraced Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You need to do that today. The Bible says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will enter into that relationship with Jesus. And maybe there's somebody here, you need to do that. That's your experience. Like right now, this has all been religion, but, but what God's interested in is relationship. And you need to have that relationship with him. And as soon as you do, as soon as you open up your heart in that way, everything is going to change. But for most of you, you need to answer the question, have you been baptized with the Spirit? Have you received that empowering of the Holy Spirit? You see, I think when you receive that empowering of the Holy Spirit in your life, you know it. Something happens. I know in my life, when I was first baptized with the Holy Spirit, I suddenly had a hunger for God's word that I did not have before. And I had a boldness to suddenly talk to people about Jesus. That was the change that suddenly happened in my life. And it was, it was overnight. My point is, is when you receive that empowering, there is a change. But this is the other thing that we need to see and understand is after we've received that initial baptism of the Holy Spirit, there's the need to be constantly refilled. It was D.L. Moody who said, why do I need to be refilled with the Holy Spirit? Because I leak. And you know what? (laughs) That happens to us. We go through life, and isn't it, I mean, if we're honest, isn't it so easy to fall back into that mindset where we're trying to live our Christian life in our own strength? We're trying to do it in our own power. You know, we just find ourselves trying to, to, to you know, falling back into that mode. You know, I'm going to be the husband. I read this book. I'm going to apply all these principles. And, and then we fail because we're sinners and we're in this flesh. And the more that you seek to live your life in your own strength and follow Jesus and serve Jesus in your own strength, you know what that is? It's exhausting because you can't do it. And you fail. And you become more dependent on you and less dependent upon him. So as we close right now, I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up. I'm also going to ask our pastors, our elders, some of our ministry leaders to make their way up 
as well. And as we just take this time to worship the Lord right now, I want to invite you, if you have not ever received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, to come up, get with one of these men and their wives, or one of these these men, and, and let them pray over you, let them pray with you, And we want to just pray today that you would receive that baptism of the Holy Spirit. But maybe you have received that baptism of the Holy Spirit, but but you're like, you know what? I need to be refilled. I want Jesus to have more of me. I want to be that sail that just is full. I want to encourage you also. Come forward and let let these guys pray over you and pray with you to just receive either that for the first time, that empowering of the Holy Spirit or that fresh filling of the Holy Spirit. And maybe today you, you just, you want to get saved and you want, like Cornelius, you want to get saved and filled at the same time. Just tell them that. Say, I, I need to give my life to Jesus today. <laughs> and they'll pray for you that and then they'll pray for you to receive the Holy Spirit. And, and that is going to happen all at once. And I want to just start by praying for all of them that are up front. And then we're going to worship. And I just want to encourage you, if you want prayer today, come forward and let us pray over you. Let us pray with you. Father, I just thank you so much for our pastors, our elders, these different ministry leaders that are here today. And God, I pray that you would fill them afresh with your Holy Spirit. Lord, I know these folks. I know that they know you. I know that they've been baptized with your spirit before. But God, we admit that we need you, that we need more of you in our lives, that we want you to have all of us. Lord, forgive us for the times that we have tried to to serve you and walk with you in our own strength. And so we call out to you today to fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit to meet us now, Lord, in this moment. And I pray for those, God, today who need prayer, that they would respond to your invitation to fill them afresh, to empower them, to come upon them today in this time. In Jesus' name, amen.